Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast with your host, Dr. Vincent Buscemi, the best podcast for health, wellness, self-improvement, and just everything to make your life better. This podcast I had with Becca and Abby over at Thrive by Design Coaching was amazing. They have research-based and solution-focused ways to eliminate burnout, something I'm very passionate about. What I'm so thrilled about is that they're not just two people giving you woo-woo, fluffy advice on how to beat burnout. Theirs is actually based on research. And through their research, they mentioned in the podcast, they can almost guarantee to eliminate, if not reduce your burnout with their tenets or foundations for improving your life. Guys, this is amazing. Please check it out. One that I really have to go down this page here is if you're looking at on YouTube now, one of their tenets is to cultivate hope and build gratitude. And later in my life now, I find that to be so important. So guys, check out the podcast. Abby and Becca, thank you so much for coming on. I never interviewed two people at the same time. And if I could do this over, I would make it two hours because it's such a good podcast. See you guys soon. You're going to love the podcast. Pour it into your stuff. I love it. I love it because it's evidence and it has like science behind it. And it's not just look into the mirror and say you're a beautiful person. Life's going to be fine. Because the like the best part about what you guys are doing is despite your external circumstances, here are ways to be resilient, which is like, especially for like my generation where we're like so soft, it's definitely (laughs) needed to hear that because life's going to take a shit on you. And you definitely need these tools that aren't taught in school. So I, I, I'm super excited for this podcast. Yeah. Well, you, you and your, in your podcast, you referred to it as woo, woo, woo. Yeah. And we call oh, that fluff. Fluff. And I love so, it. Yeah. So just going through, you know, your, your information, it got us really excited to have the conversation with you. And um, yeah, it's something we're really passionate about. I love it. So the best way to get started is I just ask people how they got started. The intro Mm -hmm. I'll cut later and it's Mm -hmm. based off kind of the synopsis of the whole thing. And we'll go about an hour at like the 50 minute mark. I'll probably start to wrap it up, Okay. but that's it. Um, How do is it Becca and Abby? Who's Becca? Who's Abby? I'm Becca. You're Becca and Abby. You're married to the one and only. Yeah. yeah. Eric that that yeah. was such a good podcast with Eric. Well, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get rolling. Um, tell me the origin story. How did you guys get started in building such a great company? Well, we, we worked together at a school and um, we were going through like everybody else, you know, the chaos of COVID and, and, you know, which way is up today and what changed and how do we make this work and can we keep the doors open? And um, we have a fairly large school that we work at. And so we had about 150 employees and everybody was struggling to kind of stay afloat. And we started seeing this and we thought, you know, what can we do to try to help people? And, you know, part of it was self-serving. We, we needed help too. And so we were kind of digging in to figure out how we could help ourselves and then how we could use that information to help others. And both of us are part of the leadership team and so we had the opportunity to kind of discuss this and, and make a plan. Um, we came together and kind of put together like what you call an after school class. 
And at the time we were calling it survival care uh, because that's what we were really trying to do day to day was survive. And so we started, you know, teaching on some of the things we were learning, but it also became a kind of a coaching support group where we were helping one another. And um, it kind of grew from there. As the years went by, we decided that surviving was not good enough. We really needed to be moving forward and, and thriving. And that's where the name Thrive by Design came from. Yeah, we say often that Thrive was born out of a felt need. And, you know, like Becca said, it was self-serving, but I remember very distinctly, uh, she won't credit herself, but it was Becca's idea. And she came to me in my office. I was serving as the school counselor at the time. And she said, Abby, people are really, really hurting. And what are we going to do to come alongside them? And one of the very first conversations we had about Thrive, which was then survival care, mm -hmm. was this cannot be fluffy. This cannot be, hey, go get a massage, go take a hike. Uh, you know, those are not things that are going to serve people when they're really, really struggling. And so from the beginning, our passion was how do we bring evidence-based and solution-focused strategies that mitigate burnout? Mm -hmm. And how do we really serve people with not only the support and the guidance and the coaching piece of it, but really what is the science behind it? Which is why we got so excited when we listened to your yeah. How to Cure Burnout uh, podcast. Now, were either of you experiencing burnout or what was the trigger that said, we need to bring this information to other people? Why not just help yourselves? Yeah, you're, you're, you're asking for authenticity and vulnerability. Those are our favorite things. And so we will, we will share with you. Um, the answer is a big fat yes. Uh, we were both very much experiencing burnout and uh, really, when I think back to that time, you know, this was in the midst of the pandemic. And as we know, healthcare and education were the hardest hit. And, you know, we remember uh, the beginning of that being, oh, we'll be back in a two in a couple weeks, in two weeks. And just kind of the fallout for that from that and serving students online and, you know, serving families and you know, still trying to get that engagement from families and from students and then teachers who are experiencing this for the very first time. And, uh, and then, you know, really also what's going on with us, you know, personally and, and, you know, physically and all of that during that time. And it was really, really a struggle. One of the things that we talk about that really kept us um, floating during that time was our sense of community at school. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the major things that we talk about in Thrive is building that sense of community because of how much that helps. But if I can say personally that if it wasn't for our team, our core team, uh, it would have, I don't even know what that, have, you know, would have looked like in my own life because it was such a pivotal, we would gather weekly and, uh, you know, grieve and lament and strategize and, you know, how do we serve our families? How do we serve our kids? And how do we make sure that we're holding each other accountable mm -hmm. to, you know, making sure that we're okay too and providing space to not be okay? Um, you know, we, we say often that we have a trauma bond. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and initially, I mean, I don't think burnout was on the radar when we mm -hmm. first started talking about this. And, and I can distinctly remember sitting you know, with our core team. And I just remember saying like, what is wrong with me? 
you know, um, I can't think, I can't do the things I normally do. I was less productive. And um, it was it was really challenging to try to, you know, go into a situation that required more of you and have less of you to give. And it really wasn't until much later, I think, that we realized that, you know, kind of what we were talking about would be called burnout. Yeah. Um, we were just really looking at everybody struggling and trying to just support one another. You know, drowning is a way to look at it. Um, you know, when we talk about defining burnout, right, um, the World Health Organization defines it as strictly a workplace phenomenon. And, you know, Abby referred to this just a minute ago that we know that's not the case. I mean, certainly throughout COVID, um, the workplace became more challenging, but also life became more challenging in all aspects of it. How can it be a workplace symptom if talk right. to any stay-at-home mom? Um, my yeah. wife at one point, we had four kids all at home. She was burnt yeah. out as hell. So there's, there's no way it's a workplace. So when you're talking to your coworkers, are you getting feedback then to develop the tenants that are now Thrive by Designer? How did you come up with the format for, I think it was a five tenants on that PDF? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Really, it was very organically. And I and I want to go back just for a second to wholeheartedly agree with you as a once stay at home mom. And um, in general, like, you know, we say often that we respect the World Health Organization, but I, you know, we know that we are whole people and there is no way that what happens at work stays at work and what happens at home stays at home. There's just no way that it does. And so we have some favorite definitions of burnout that we can share with you. But in terms of how we developed the tenants, it was very organic over time. Some of them have changed, right. but we are both really big readers and researchers and podcasts. And I mean, you name it, we were seeking out information to, again, not be able to provide just fluff. And so these are the core things that we know that, I mean, you can actually say if you interact with these things in terms of burnout being a spectrum, you are going to move towards from burnout towards thriving if you mm -hmm. interact with these things. Yeah. And, you know, Abby mentioned, you know, we're whole people. You can't completely separate work and home and all of the other pieces. And so that was a challenge, actually, in kind of deciding on the tenets of Thrive mm -hmm. because they all overlap one another. And so, you know, you could call them by a different name, um, but it doesn't matter really what you call them. They, they all interact with one another and we feel like they build up to a thriving life. There's the foundational pieces that if you focus on those areas, then they will help you move toward a thriving life. What is your favorite definition of burnout that encompasses work and life and everything? Yeah, we, we have two. Uh, I'm going to read them to you so that I don't mess them up. Okay. Okay. So the first one is from John Eldridge, who wrote a book called Resilient. And he says that burnout is the buildup of hundreds and thousands of little disappointments, each one barely noticeable on its own. The second one is from Paula Davis, which uh, she wrote Beating Burnout at Work. We love this book. Talk about an evidence-based you know, solution for mitigating and, and looking at what is 
how do we address it systemically at work? Um, she does a brilliant job. And, and she says, for most of us, the hundreds of miniature bruises we experience each day determine the overall quality of our lives far more dramatically than the giant traumas that punctuate the decades. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Exactly. I was just going to say, I, yeah. I heard that just the other day, death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's it too. And what's interesting is I think a lot of these things we were, we knew we could verbalize. And then once we started researching, um, so much of it matched up with what we were already feeling. And I was just talking to Abby about this today. Uh, one of the ways I, I was trying to ex explain to people what was going on, like, why do I feel this way? And um, so I said, you know, if somebody dropped a thousand pound weight on me, like I would know I was hurt. I would know I needed medical attention. I would, I would address it. But what happened is there was one pound of weight and then two pounds. And, and when they're in little increments like that, you adapt, you adjust, you dig in, you try harder and you keep going. And, and pretty soon you are carrying the thousand pounds and you're staggering around and, and eventually it crushes you, but it goes back to those, you know, the miniature bruises or the thousand disappointments or the thousand paper cuts. It's so incremental that it's easy not to notice it and until you're you know, too far along that spectrum toward burnout. And then you're dealing with recovery. And you know, we, we're looking at like what we'd love to do is work in the prevention mode. Mm -hmm. You know, what things can you do to keep yourself from getting there? Um, but you know, a lot of the people we're dealing with are, are already there. And so we're looking at recovery. And even though a lot of the strategies are similar, the way you go about them would be different. There's this idea called a psychological immune system that mm -hmm. if you get a certain blow, like a death of a loved one or a loss of a job or bankruptcy, you can almost handle that better than what you guys are talking about. The first definition where the guy said a thousand things go wrong. Like when you said that, I felt that in my heart because that, yeah. that, like you said, it's like when you boil a frog, if you boil it right. real slow, you can kill it. Yeah. yeah. So, I love those definitions. You should call the World Health Organization and tell them, <laughs> tell them to switch. I want to go in to these tenants because like you said, they're not fluff. Go, my favorite one is cultivating hope. That's like, when I read that, that was the best. But walk me through one through five and tell me how you came up with these and how they can help people. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we can just, so they're not in any particular order. Um, not, we don't think, you know, um, one of them is physical health. And so, I mean, part of that's obvious, right? We need to take care of our physical health. And if you just tell somebody, you know, eat healthy exercise, um, that's great. People have been told that over and over, but one of the things we like to do is kind of dig into the why, mm -hmm. you know, what does this do for your body? Why does it matter? And one of the ideas that that we're struggling to kind of um, convey in a simple way is the idea of capacity. So we have this capacity to handle life and by eating better foods, nourishing our bodies, getting good sleep, all of those things, we are building our capacity. So, you know, if you think of uh, this, this empty vessel that, that holds our entire capacity and gives us ability to deal with life, um, those elements of physical health will help you create more capacity. And then what happens in daily life, those thousand disappointments or whatever, they kind of take up space in your capacity. 
So if you are focusing on physical health and building more capacity, you have an increased ability to deal with everything else life throws at you. Um, you might fill up some of that capacity, but you'll still have more room at the top. So, I mean, we aren't going to get into all of the research. And, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the physical health aspects in mm -hmm. your podcast. But um, anyway, I, like I said, I'm not going to get into all of the details, but it's the stuff that we all know that we should do that we don't. And just looking at why it's so important. Mm -hmm. The other one that you mentioned in terms of uh, gratitude, hope, and awe, awe is a newer word for us. It's one of my favorites. And there is actually a lot of science around gratitude, hope, and awe. Uh, there's something that's actually called the hope, you know, the science of hope or hope science. And so that's actually um, something that we've used in, you know, the educational setting with kids and watched in real time what that looks like to cultivate hope uh, amongst students that are really struggling. So that's part of where that passion came from is our interaction with that in the education system. Uh, but also, I, I think, you know, it's so one of the challenges is that when you say to somebody, you know, let's practice gratitude or let's, you know, make sure that we understand and practice hope. Let's let's be aware and, and draw our attention and our focus to things that are awe inspiring in our lives. Again, if if we're not careful, that seems very fluffy or in your yeah. words, Dr. Vince, woo, woo, woo. Right. Yeah. And because there is so much science behind it and because this is, and you'll hear us say this word over and over, it is very hyper-personalized. We look at the We tenants. stole that from you, by the way. Yeah, the hyper-personalized. We did. <laughs> I, I stole that from another podcast guest, See, but don't, don't tell him. So we'll say it. Yeah, they'll <laughs> no, no credit you every time. So when we, when we talk about the hyper-personalized part, you know, that's a recognition to say it really is, and we start with assessment in our, in our groups and individually, it's really important to come alongside somebody or come alongside a group and say, okay, what are the areas that are working for you? And what are the areas that are not working for you? Not only do we define where are you at on the burnout spectrum, but what are the things that you're engaging with and not engaging with? And as an example, if it's something like gratitude, hope, and awe that you aren't cultivating in your life, here's the science behind that. Here are some things that you can begin to do right now that will move you on the spectrum towards thriving. Uh, and yeah, gratitude, hope, and awe is one of my favorites too. It makes me sad that it is overused in such a, you know, in such a fluffy way because it isn't fluffy at all. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Go ahead. yeah, people are likely to roll their eyes if you mm -hmm. talk about it because it has been overused. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, just one of the very simple statistics, a daily gratitude practice can increase feelings of happiness by 25%. I mean, there's not too many ways you can get that much bang for your buck. But, you know, just, you know, three things you're grateful for each day. And if you do that with any consistency, you're going to feel 25% happier. Mm -hmm. And it really corresponds with, you know, so one of the elements to, of burnout that's defined by the World Health Organization is like cynicism and loss of hope. So, you know, not only, you know, outside of the World Health Organization definition, is it really helpful, but it also directly addresses that aspect the three um, areas that the World Health Organization looks at are mental and physical exhaustion, cynicism, you know, lack of hope that things will get better, and then um, 
just flew out of my head. Um, oh, professional efficacy. You know, are you able to do your job well? And so looking at gratitude, hope at all really does specifically address that one element of burnout. Mm-hmm. So this all part is new to me. Yeah. I know that Jonathan Haidt wrote a book a while ago and talked about going into nature and feeling mm-hmm. awe. What is your research on awe? What does it do to people? Yeah. It, the reason why we categorized it with gratitude and hope is it's it's very similar in terms of its impact. You can also think about it in terms of um, mindfulness. Uh, really, that corresponds a lot. But an example of that is it is the stopping, the allowing yourself to saturate in you know, it's also about mindset, being able to recognize the things, not just about gratitude, but like of this deep sense of, wow, that's really beautiful or wow. So I'll give you an example. I have a client right now. We've been talking about gratitude, hope and awe. And she said to me uh, after our discussion about it, she said, you know, I, I think I had an awe moment. And I said, well, tell me, I'm so excited to hear And she said, I was standing in my kitchen and I was doing my dishes and it was evening and it was mayhem. And she has little toddlers, they're two and three. And she said, one was banging magnets on on the fridge. The other was trying to get water out of the same fridge and they're bickering and their little voices. And I'm standing at the sink and I'm washing my dishes and I'm thinking, this is what I wanted. I wanted these little babies. They're running around my kitchen. I've just finished a wonderful dinner with my family. It's the ability to pause and recognize in the moment that mindfulness, that deep awe goes beyond gratitude. It's a deep sense of like, wow, that sunset is stunning. Like, let's stare at that for a minute. Wow, these crazy kids that are banging at the fridge, right? This is my family. Like, this is amazing. Um, so it's just a, it's a, it's a, I say just, it's not just anything. It's very impactful, but it's that deeper sense. Um, it's, it's that application of gratitude. Well, is that, that being part of something bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of recognizing your place in, you know, however you want to look at it in the bigger universe. And, um, What's interesting is I'm going to bounce for a minute. You know, one of the other tenets is emotional intelligence. And part of that is self-awareness. And as we've been going through this process, something I discovered is that I would pursue these things, not really understanding why. So I'm a um, nature photographer, just kind of on the side. And so one of my favorite things to do when I was having a really rough time would be to go for a sunrise hike. And I'd go hike, you know, to a cliff overlooking a lake and watch the sunrise. And, you know, I sought out those things to help me feel better, not even understanding the science behind it. Yeah. And it, it, part of the science is it, it helps to balance um, your nervous system. I mean, it, it turns down the fight or flight and, you know, gets you kind of in a more settled state by simply just looking around and noticing the things that are already there, which is great because it doesn't take a lot of time or additional effort, it just takes a shift of focus. Mm -hmm. And so when people are overwhelmed and they feel like they can't do one more thing, you know, gratitude and hope are the same way. It's a shift in the way you're looking at things. It's not one more thing to do. You talked about, you didn't call it reframing. What did you call it in the PDF? Was it reimagining? Might be, so we have a few different ways that we talk about it. Mind your mindset and 
reframing, refocusing, Refocusing. think about your thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's say you have a client that comes to you. So in the past, I used to be the most negative person you've ever met. And that's hard to believe. That is hard to believe. Only because you're seeing me through the camera. You'd you'd be able to tell in person. So (laughs) I come to you. I'm super burnt out. I'm really cynical. My kids are banging the crap out of everything. I cannot see any positive. I'm close to rock bottom. What is the first step you guys would tell me to take to start moving from lower than surviving to get to thriving? Yeah. So one of the things uh, I love that you're asking this question. And one of the things that we're really passionate about is that this isn't a, um, it's very prescriptive and that can be good news and bad news, right? Because people really, really want a quick fix. They want, you know, the, the magic wand and there is no such thing. And the reason why it is really individualized and we really try to be prescriptive is that you have to kind of assess where you're at. And we have tools that we do that with. So the first step would be to assess where you're at in terms of the burnout spectrum. And then after that, to be able to assess, okay, you know, what are the areas of your life that you are feeling this the most? How is that showing up? And again, we have evidence-based tools that we do that with. And then we can really lay out, you know, a, a plan for people and say, okay, this is how we can walk from just being in survival mode or, or burned out towards thriving. And so it really just depends, sorry, uh, it really just depends on the person's situation. I think that what I love about what you said too, is that, um, you know, we don't want to ever come in and say, okay, you just need to do all these things because when people are at their worst, when they can't get off the couch, when you come in and say, okay, you need to do this, 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 and this, then that is just completely overwhelming, which is why the assessment part of it is really important. And uh, to be able to look at what is something that's going to fit you and fit your situation and, you know, move you on that spectrum, because we know that we are building resilience as we do that. We're increasing our capacity to be, as Becca mentioned, to be able to, if we do this one thing, if we do this next thing, the next best thing, that's going to allow us to keep moving on that path towards thriving and be able to add in more things, right? But to begin with, especially if you're on the other side of the spectrum and far out, you know, towards burnout, then we don't want to overwhelm you in any way. The question kind of becomes like, you know, let's look at all of the the options. What can you do? Like, what could you commit to? And it might start out with being something that's five minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about building capacity and kind of moving across that spectrum from burnout to thriving is that it's, it's not linear. And so if you can incorporate one little thing that you can put in your day, um, maybe do that for a couple of weeks until you feel that you have the capacity to do one more thing. You don't have to do, you know, all 50 things. What happens mm-hmm. is it starts to kind of grow exponentially is that as you gain a little more capacity, then you have more capacity to do more things to help yourself. And so you're, you're almost double dipping. You're doing the little things to help yourself. But by doing that, you have more room to then do even better things to help yourself. And it really starts to take off. But to go back to that hyper individualized thing again, I mean, it really depends, you know, for one person taking a 10 minute walk, you know, through a little nature path might seem like a super easy thing to do. Like, okay, I can find 10 minutes in my day. But for another person, that just might not be it at all. 
And so looking at, you know, as Abby mentioned on the assessment, what areas are you doing well in? And, and maybe focusing on something from there, that can, mm-hmm. like where you're already feeling a little bit stronger and a little more confident, where can you build? Um, we were working with a group and they had taken the assessment and um, one of the participants noticed that an area that was a real strength for her was her team. And so then we talked about, okay, well, what could you do with your team since that's a positive and that's someplace you feel confident that you could build a little capacity there? And then it starts to kind of flow over into the other areas. Did you create this assessment or is it taken from somewhere else? No, we've adapted from the Maslach burnout inventory. Okay. Um, And we have a couple different ones we use depending on how much time we have. There are, there are simpler ones. Like if we're giving just a a generalized presentation, um, we've pieced another simpler one together from different sources. But the Maslach Burnout Inventory is the one that gives you the three specific areas that correspond with the World Health Organization. And it kind of gives you a little more specific direction. What are those three specific areas? Well, it's the the cynicism, loss of hope, um, the physical, mental exhaustion, and then the professional efficacy. Okay, those three, okay. Yeah, so but within that, there's other questions that, that kind of refer to your team and different things like that. When people come to you, what do you find is some of the most common areas of deficiency that's leading to burnout? It's a lot of people, and, and this is where it's interesting when you look at, you know, the World Health Organization says it's work. And that's definitely a a big component of it. Um, But, you know, one of the directions we go with that is we use what's called the circle of control. It's from the seven habits of highly effective people. And so what happens, and this is tricky because there are definitely work environments that lead, you know, that promote burnout, that add to it. But as we've mentioned, we know that that's not the only element. And so we, we look at that circle of control and a lot of the things about the work environment are not within our circle of control, but how we, de- how we react to them is within that circle. And so we kind of look at that. And, and so while people will say work, oftentimes what we're finding is they're not doing things to build their capacity outside of that. So they have less ability to deal with the problems at work. And so while those are real and there can be some work environments that you know definitely would be classified as toxic and that's a whole kind of different category um if people focus on building their capacity in the areas that they can control what they find is that yeah work didn't change but i'm better equipped to deal with it and i have better perspective on it how do you have that conversation i come to you and i say my work is causing me burnout and you say, it's not your work, it's you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm really sad, I'm at my lowest. How do you delicately have that conversation so I don't cry and leave your coaching business? <laughs> no, I, I love that. Yeah. So honestly, you know, we invite people into a really vulnerable uh, process. And you know, our, our promise, our pledge is that we're gonna walk alongside you through that. And there is you know, really raw, conversations to be had, I would say that we're pretty good at being gentle and sensing, you know, how much we can push in, in the word I use all the time too much is mouthy, how mouthy I can be with you. Yeah. 
And so the beauty of doing this from an evidence-based perspective is that we're able to say, this isn't my subjective opinion as I'm listening to you. We're doing an assessment with you and these are the areas that are showing up. Now, how can we link arms and move you from you know, surviving to thriving? And we're gonna do that together in a way that fits you, that's comfortable for you. Uh, and so, yes, we can be mouthy, uh, but gently and, yeah. you know, and, and as appropriate and when appropriate too, I think that's really important. Well, and, and that comes back into that foundational tenet of emotional intelligence and self-awareness. So one of the things we'll sometimes do with the group is we'll have them take, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the DISC assessment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we'll have them take that and then we just kind of dig in and have them start looking at themselves and the different elements of their personalities. And it, the conversation evolves out of that. I mean, if people come in and they really want to make change and they're willing to objectively look at the whole situation, um, people have a lot of revelations on their own. Mm -hmm. People are smart. And when given the time and space to kind of self-reflect, as Abby said, with evidence that we're showing them, people, people reach their own conclusions. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we really have to say like, oh, the problem is you, um, because, because it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm just being facetious, but um, these are the things that you have control over. And so you can stay stuck on the things that are causing you problems that you can't fix, or you can spend a little more time and energy on the things that you, you do control. And, and sometimes when you take care of all the things that you do control, you know, the work environment can still sometimes be too much. But then people are coming at that from a healthy, balanced, educated point of view, and then they can decide what to do about it. It's kind of like not fix yourself, but control what you can control first. And if mm -hmm, work absolutely. is still awful, then move on. But like absolutely. eliminate the easy stuff first because you can't control right. work. Are there certain personality types that are more prone to burnout than other types? Absolutely. Uh, and remind me to Dr. Vince, to, when you're talking about like, you know, the trickier conversations to have, I think one of the trickiest conversations to have is when we're, you know, working alongside groups professionally um, in terms of when, when the environment, you know, when that work environment in the leadership and the decisions and the systems that are in place or not in place, you know, are really leading to burnout. That's the trickier conversation to what, yeah, when you've got the yeah, employers and the employees yeah. in the same room. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm under the assumption everything is my employee's fault. I don't know if that's correct, but <laughs> how do you have that conversation when the staff thinks it's the boss's fault, the boss thinks the staff is weak, and you're in the room right there trying to navigate both? Absolutely. You, you start with a permission statement and, and that is like, we're going to engage in this process together and it's going to be hard. The, the most important piece is to start with leadership privately because, you know, just in terms of dynamics, we don't want to in any way dishonor leadership in front of staff. And so getting an assessment of how leadership feels like things are going and in those areas specifically and then how staff feels, you know, that things are going and then being able to bridge those conversations and look at what's working, what's not working, and even putting systems in place or bolstering systems that are already in place that help mitigate burnout. And, and we can give you an example. Um, 
from recently, we had this conversation and uh, this is not a team. This is a, a gentleman that we did a podcast with and something that he does in his team that's just brilliant and amazing. But when it talks, when he you know talks about, okay, how do we care about ourselves? How do we care for ourselves as individuals? Because we bring you know ourselves into our work environment. And so they have, um, and this is a simple you know, thing to do that has really helped their culture tremendously, but they have challenges on a regular basis where they'll say, okay, you know, here, we know that we need to drink water as an example, and we know we need to drink X amount of ounces of water. And we know that we want to join, you know, with each other to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves so that we can be everything that we can be. So we're going to challenge each other to drink X amount of ounces of water. This is the way we're going to keep track of that. And then if you don't, you know, follow through with that, then on karaoke, which is set up in the office, (laughs) you have to sing a karaoke song, right? If you don't meet your goal, or this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a fitness class together, all of us together, and we're going to take two hours off. You know, those are the kinds of things that not only greatly improve team culture, but they also convey the message that, you know what, we really need to take care of ourselves. One of the things that really makes us sad that we see over and over and over again is that we are in the midst of this work culture where it's just like, go, 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 and we need to do this, and we need to perform in this way, and we need to meet this quota. You know, this is what we need to be able to do as a company. And and it's you know, that it's going to lead to disastrous outcomes if it hasn't already. You know, you look at turnover and Becca's amazing with statistics. She'll remember, I'm sure. But there's all sorts of statistics about, you know, what does it cost somebody to replace an employee Mm -hmm. and why are employees leaving in the first place? And and that is about team culture and leadership. Uh, So, yeah, like if you're a boss and, and you so you start talking about money, you know, what is it costing you for your employees to be burned out? What's mm-hmm. it costing you to, you know, keep having this turnover and then the extra burden that it puts on the people you still have when they're trying to cover for people who aren't there? And and you start to look at that and, you know, uh, burned out employees use up 60% more sick days, you know, so you start calculating that cost in your business. So there's like the hard, cold, hard facts. You know, if you're a business owner and you're trying to make money, this costs you money. So, so that's one way. Um, when you have both groups together, I mean, part of it is people have to be able to self-reflect. And, it, and if you have employer and employee and you're trying to have a conversation and the employees won't talk, you know, so then then you have a follow up conversation with employer and you say, OK, like nobody, you know, privately, because you want to keep that, you know, mutual respect and everything going. But but those are conversations you have with the employer and say, OK, nobody's willing to speak up. What do you think it is about the environment that's causing that? And it's a slow discovery process. Um, people have to be willing participants though. People yeah. have to be willing to look at it and Absolutely. want to change. Um, I think you initially you get more genuine conversation if those groups are separate, but it's also mm-hmm. important to have them together because I think it's easy for, for an employer or a boss, you know, a leader to miss um, you know, what their employers are going through, employees are going through, just depending on the structure of your business. So that kind of answered my question. So when you go in and the employees are saying burnout and the employer is maybe thinking they are entitled, like they're not working hard enough, and you assess both groups, who has more of an accurate view of the culture? Is it the owner or is it the employees? 
It's usually the employees. I would say usually, I wouldn't say always, but- Podcast um, is over, no joking. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the other piece, and so Becca has taught many subjects and she's a math and numbers girl too. I am, I'm a, I'm a therapist, so I don't do numbers, (laughs) but one of the, uh, one of the things, tell them about the um, burnout in millennials. Oh yeah. Okay. So, and this is a conversation we have. So 98% of millennials say they're burned out. Um, So we're not making fun of millennials. Yeah. However, no offense you know, taken. Yeah. You know, just like we said, the woo woo and the fluff. Okay. Burnout has become an overused word and it's applied to, I mean, in a lot of cases, anytime somebody feels tired or sick, or I don't want to go to work today, I must be burned out. And so part of that is education. Like what is burnout for real, even though there's not a lot of consensus on that, which we've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the definition you want to choose. But um, what is it really? Where are you on that spectrum? So a lot of doses of reality, right. I guess, is I think what helps to promote the conversation. That makes me feel better that it's the employee's fault. But if 98% of millennials feel burnt out, how are you giving them a dose of reality to make them say like, just cause you're kind of tired doesn't mean you're burnt out. You know, when people use the phrase, oh, I'm OCD, but like real OCD, you're like trapped in your basement for a year straight. So it's totally right. different things. How do you yeah. tell these, how do you tell these millennials that you're not burnt out? So this is exactly why what you just said is a perfect example of how passionate we are about coming at this from an evidence-based solution focused direction. And so to be able to assess where somebody's at using something like the Maslach inventory and, and, and defining what burnout actually is and being able to look at what the symptoms are, what is, you know, how is this showing up in your life very quickly, if they're engaged and honest, very quickly are you able to go oh wait a minute you know okay that this isn't exactly or in terms of the spectrum i'm not as far out over on the burnout side as i am saying i am or i thought i am uh, because when we engage in conversation about what it actually is and we talk to them about that assessment area those areas then it becomes more clear well, and, and something that, you know, I, I don't know, I would say we were surprised by, encouraged by, maybe would be a better way to say it, is as people have taken this assessment, you know, I, I would say the overwhelming response has been like, oh, I'm not as burned out as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. I have these areas of my life where it's going okay. Mm-hmm. And that gives people kind of the the momentum to want to work on more preventative things. So, you know, I'm not as burned out as I thought. I do have a little capacity to work on some areas of my life that will give me more capacity and help me build. It's almost like a relief. Um, there are people who want to say they're burned out. I mean, I think there's there's sometimes a need to label how you're feeling. And I mean, that's fine too, but just looking at it, what it really is, and it kind of doesn't matter what you call it in the end, it's, it's where are you on the spectrum? And then, you know, where do you need to go from here? whether you're you know, really close to thriving and you just wanna tweak and continue to improve or whether you're rock bottom burned out and where do you start? It's all moving in the same direction. Um, yeah, that question of where do I go now? Where, where do I move? How do I move? Where do I go? I wonder if you constantly wake up, because Eric actually shared with me kind of what he says in the morning and I've been kind of saying more positive things. If you're constantly mm-hmm. saying to yourself, I'm burnt out, I'm burnt out, you actually like move down the scale more towards burnt out because you eventually believe what your stupid self is telling you. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, you're totally right. And and we talk a lot about the stories we tell ourselves. Right. Uh, that's a huge focus when we do um, our workshops. And you're exactly right. The power, I mean, truly the power and the way that that affects our brains, the brain science behind that is incredible. And it's absolutely true. Uh, you were asking, we, we talked about tenants and I know we talked about emotional intelligence, but the other one that we haven't is habit development. And this is one of our favorite topics out of all of them. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we really talk about is identity-based habits, uh, which is really cool. Uh, and we want to talk to you about HRV too. We want to know what you know about HRV. So like, when you tell me about this identity habits. Like 10 years ago, I used to have an HRV monitor. Um, oh. I don't know if it's legitimate from HeartMath. You guys ever hear of them? Yes. Oh, yes. I have HeartMath. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about first of all, the identity-based habits, then yeah. move into how cold showers improve your HRV. But go to the identity-based See, Dr. Vince, we have so much to talk about. <laughs> so many things. Yeah. Yeah. So with an identity-based habit, I mean, so you were talking about saying positive things in the morning, right? Or, or saying I'm burnt out. And so, like, you can't really lie to yourself. You know, your, your body, you know, says, oh, wait, wait, no, that's not true. But you can really investigate your thinking and, um, you know, what am I telling myself? How is that affecting me? And when you look at an identity-based habit, you're asking like, who do I want to be, right? And so you develop habits around who you want to be. So if you want to be a more positive person, you don't wake up in the morning and lay in bed and say, oh, I'm so burnt out. I can't get out of bed. I don't want to do anything because that um, is not building the identity you want. So James Clear has a book called um, Atomic Habits, and he talks about casting a vote for the identity that you want. So it's those incremental little pieces. So if you want to become a more positive person, more energetic, um, it doesn't cast a vote for that. If you lay in bed and say, I'm burnt out. If you lay in bed and have a little conversation with yourself about the great things you're gonna get to do today, then that casts a vote for being that more positive person. And so that's like, in a nutshell, the idea of identity habits is build habits that support and cast votes and build up the person you want to become. Mm -hmm. And just like kind of overcoming burnout and the little bits and pieces you can do, the habits are the same way. You know, you don't have to come up with 20 new habits today. Start with something small, like talking to yourself in the morning. Yeah. I, I can give you a personal funny one to be to be vulnerable. I love chocolate, Dr. Vince. And so my my identity based habit around health is especially at the end of the day. OK, if I if I want to be healthy, Abby, if would would healthy Abby have a piece of chocolate right now or would healthy Abby go take a walk and set my circadian rhythm and be outside 30 minutes before sunset? Right. Yeah. Things like that. So it's the questions that you can ask yourself. Uh, which is really powerful. It's that self-assessment and a reminder of, you know, it ties in with purpose. That's why when you look at our Thrive Map, everything ties back to all those tenants that we talked about, uh, tie back to our purpose. They tie back to life balance and resilience. I mm -hmm. want to have the identity of the dad that comes home and is happy because yeah. too much in my career, I've been out for 10 years now, I came home break off a file on the tooth, something bad happens at work and you come home and you're just in a terrible mood and your kids absorb that into their soul. So mm -hmm. I'm constantly also trying to cast votes to, I get home, 
try to leave work at work and be happy for the kid. So that's like, mm-hmm. I never heard it called identity-based habits, but I, I really like that. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. Do you, do you, oh, see, I go into, I, I go into ask question coach mode when <laughs> you say that. So you're, it's you're, okay. you're allowed to ask me questions. <laughs> well, no, I just, I think about, um, so I used to uh, work at the hospital and I, uh, I, it was really, really hard. I worked in oncology um, for a while as a social worker. And uh, one of the things that I had to do because I had that same experience was to provide space, um, you know, on the way home. And I would not listen to the radio. I would not listen to podcasts. I would take the long way home. I'm not giving you what to do. I'm just joining with you about how difficult that is um, and really be thoughtful and mindful about, you know, creating that space before. Because if I would rush home feeling guilty that I was not home, then I was not bringing my my best self at all. Um, so it's, it is, that's, that's hugely challenging. That's why we agree with the world health. I mean, we disagree with the world health organization because it is not just at work. Right? Oh yeah. Cause it's not like you're burnt out at work and you go home and you feel amazing. <laughs> exactly. Different. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we, um, built a track around the outside of our property and it's only a third of a mile. And, um, it was during COVID. I, I named it my trouble track. And so things would be really crazy at work. And I wanted to come home and be present with my husband and my daughter. And so I kind of just set it up with them that I would come home and we have trees and things on our property. So it was nature. And I would just take as many laps around the trouble track as I needed until I felt my, like my head was in the right space. And that was kind of supporting this identity of, mm-hmm. I, you know, I want to be fully present as a wife and a mother and not, drag those problems home with me. And, you know, sometimes I'd have to talk to myself and um, even kind of visualize like dropping those problems on the trail behind me. But then when I came in the door, I knew that I was ready to go. And so that's a habit, you know, it became a habit and it served me well. And actually what's interesting Mm -hmm. as, as you start kind of um, moving more toward, toward burnout. And I started kind of going away from that habit. And, and so the healthy things that you have in place is really important to keep those in place, no matter how busy you get. Yeah. And that's so important because if you really think about it, maybe on a Monday through Friday, I'll see my kids total five hours, six hours, and they go to bed. And that's so yeah. limited because you're at work 40 hours. So right. if you right, if you can't drop your problems before you walk in, you just burn those precious hours. Yep. So I want to turn this a little more positive. What is your, what is your definition of thriving? Yeah. So good. That's, that's a hard one. Um, it can go, that could be a three or four hour conversation. Um, I, I, for me, I think it really ties into purpose. And when, uh, I love that that was one, uh, that was added in, um, or it's in, in your how to cure burnout podcast in those ways to mitigate. I think you called it the prescription Mm -hmm. and that resonated with us because we talk about purpose a lot and that's why it's at the top of our thrive map. And, uh, I think that a thriving life means that I'm fulfilling my personal and professional, you know, purpose and that I am very cued into what's going on with me physically and spiritually and emotionally, Um, and, you know, being able to have that self-awareness to at any given time, assess myself in those areas and then follow through on 
what are the things that I know that I need to do if I'm struggling in one of those areas to get back on track. Um, so I think purpose for me is huge. And, you know, people define that different ways. Uh, and that's fine. Um, it's really personal. Uh, but I think that's one of the biggest things. And a thriving life also means there's balance in your life. Mm-hmm. And there's that work-life balance that you're referencing. If if one of those things is way, you know, out of whack, then, and there isn't balance, then you're not thriving um, in, in either area. And, and then I think lastly, that resilience piece, you know, we're, when we're doing all these things, the tenants of thrive, you know, we're building our resilience. The more, the more we do hard things, the more we increase our capacity to hard things. And so when Becca so beautifully articulates what capacity looks like and where, where our baseline is at, if I'm living a thriving life, then my baseline isn't so high, right? So that when something challenging happens to me, you know, personally or professionally, or somebody I love gets sick, I love how you leave in your own personal story with that with your sister, then I'm not going to be knocked completely off course. um, Because I can I can recalibrate, I can handle that because I've built that resilience over time. So those are the three biggest things, you know, purpose, life balance, building resilience. And if we have those things, we have a thriving life. And one of my favorite words around that is, is being congruent, mm-hmm. right? So having all areas of your life matched up. I can't like be wonderful at work and then come home and, and yell at my kids, mm-hmm. right? That's not congruence. That's not balanced. Um, that is not thriving. So having everything aligned and, and being congruent in all of those areas. Mm-hmm. And Abby, it, you know, it just explained all the the pieces that go along with that. But that's the word. I have that word on my office wall, you know, be congruent. So when I start feeling myself get out of balance, I'm like, okay, I need to get this realigned. When people get out of balance, what drops first in your clients? Is it they perform worse at work? They're more short with their family? What tends to go first? Or their own personal Mm -hmm. health? So in our experience, it's what drops first is personal. Yeah. Uh, because, and I, I really think that speaks a lot to American culture, really, and and what's expected of us and how we think we need to perform. We talk a lot about performance and identity um, and thrive. And so often our identities are wrapped up in our performance and where we feel like that shows up the best, that we get the most kudos for that, whatever it is, is at work. And it is at home, as we all know, that we are safest, where, you know, we are, are more have vulnerable selves for better or worse. And so oftentimes uh, it really, that out of balance shows up more at home because we are performing at work. And it can also show up at home in in relation to our personal needs. Mm -hmm. And then going back to those basics again, taking care of your physical health, your sleep, those things. So, you know, family and self tend to take the biggest hit. Yeah. and yeah, because people need to perform at work, there's a different su- sort of accountability yeah. and expectation and sometimes acknowledgement. You know, um, at home, our kids don't normally come up to us and say, you know, oh, thank you for going to work and providing for me and, you know, all those things. Um, of course, we know they appreciate it, but we don't get that same kind of recognition at home typically. What a sad fact. The most important things are your health and your family, and those go first. Mm-hmm. I could almost walk back when I start to slip into burnout. Like It's like sleep goes first, then it's mm-hmm. diet, then it's how I treat my family. And then like the last thing is like how I treat my patients. 
they get the the best part of me always right. until I get absolute rock bottom. Right. In yeah. your life, when you guys are experiencing burnout, what's the first thing that starts to go? We we were talking about this today. Yeah. So uh, Becca remembered this example, and this is a little. I mean, it sounds funny. It's really not. But when we were in the midst of everything at work, uh, you know, we run around after um, some children that experience a lot of challenges and behaviorally and literally so, run around, literally actually. run around. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we wear walkies and, and all the things. And uh, we would have conversations like, hey, have you peed today? Yeah. I, I don't know if I have, you know, like, I know that sounds like TMI, but that's, a, that is a raw example of, you know, when you are so engaged with what you're doing professionally and you allow that to slip and you're on that other, you know, end of burnout, um, it can, it can be pretty gnarly in terms of the way that that shows up for, you know, for us physically, um, too. So that was my experience as I was, you know, I would get home. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I feel sick because I haven't eaten. I've been running yeah. around and then I would, you know, eat too much for dinner because you're starving. You know, it's just a whole awful cycle, Dr. Vince is what it is. Well, and, you know, talking about eating was something that, and, you know, saying it now, looking back, mm -hmm. you know, we've been doing a lot of work and trying to move out of this burnout phase. And you yeah. look back and you think, why did I think that was an okay thing? Mm -hmm. But at the time you're rationalizing it because you're, you're not self-aware as you should be, and you're not taking care of yourself. And, um, I went through what, five years where I didn't sit down for lunch. And I remember having this conversation like, oh yeah, well, I can't have a lunch that requires utensils. Whatever I eat for lunch has to be something I can hold in one hand while I'm on the run. And that seemed perfectly okay. That was just what it was. And then when you look backward and you think, oh my gosh, well, no wonder I burned out. Like you start looking at all the things that you just let slip. And I think part of losing capacity is that you have an inability to honestly reflect on what's going on. Yeah. Because if somebody else had told me that, I would have called them on it. Yeah. As Abby says, I would have gotten mouthy with them mm -hmm. and said, you know, why is that okay? But, but I completely thought it was okay for myself. How true is that? Because I have friends that will call and say, I have slept four hours a night for three months to get this project done. And I'll say like, you're so stupid. And then I'll sleep four hours a night and go, well, you need to, cause you gotta accomplish this goal. Like we're so yeah. much more forgiving with our friends and giving them good advice than ourself. Right. And that's yeah. definitely part of hustle culture and American culture. Mm -hmm. I have to have you guys back cause we're coming up in the hour mark and I feel like we just touched the surface. Um, so I won't take a no for an answer. I always <laughs> end with a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. The first question is, and then I want each of you to have your own answer. What is one takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this hour interview? I think we might have the same answer, but, but you can go first. No, go ahead. No. Um, I think really it, it comes down to, and you just mentioned it, like we have to have some grace for ourselves um, and have to realize that it's a very personalized process and it's okay to start really small. Mm, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and, you know, Abby and I are both the type of people that um, if there's something to do, we're going to make a list. We're going to make three lists and then we're going to get it done as fast as we can and check all the boxes. And it's almost like a race to recovery. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not how it works with burnout. You have to find a different rhythm. Um, one of the things that I heard recently was that you have to receive rest. And like for me, that was kind of a shift because I would say I pursue rest. 
which is an active thing. And that's kind of what gets you in, in, you know, into the burnout in the first place is always having to do something. And so it's a little humbling. I think you have to be willing to be humbled. Like I can't just power my way through. You have to step back and take small steps and you will start to feel better a little bit at a time. But the more you try to rush it, I think it's two steps forward and two mm -hmm. steps back. I, th I think you neutralize your, your progress when you try to do too much. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I think that the thing I would add is, um, you know, if we look at it as a to-do list of things to do um, in order to move ourselves towards thriving, uh, then it's not going to work. It's not, a, it's not about a to-do list. It really isn't. And that's the grace that, you know, that Becca speaks about too, just really being able to self-reflect and evaluate. And you, you might need somebody's help to do that. Um, but there, I think that the thing that excited, excited us the most, the more we dove into this is that there absolutely are strategies that we can interact with that are going to move us towards thriving. I mean, you can, you can actually promise that. And I, I don't know very many things that we can, you know, promise like that in terms of outcome. And so that's really exciting. Yeah. I couldn't agree more because the more you try to do too fast, like you end up getting more disappointed, you work mm -hmm. backwards and you fall right back into it. Right. Yeah. So the second goal is to put you guys in the best light possible. Can you tell everyone the name of your company, where you're working, how people can work with you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so Thrive by Design uh, is our name, and Becca and I do workshops, we speak at seminars, uh, and we also do individual and group coaching. So our workshops are, uh, uh, the format is to do a workshop and then a lab so that we can support you and interact with the material and the resources that we provide. Uh, and then, you know, speaking at seminars, individual coaching, group coaching, we love to do that with leaders and businesses. Um, or, you know, personally engage with people also. Yeah. We also work with um, DISC. We're both certified in DISC assessment mm -hmm. and then um, Strength Finders as well, which kind of speaks to the emotional intelligence piece mm -hmm. of, of the tenants. And so we are on Instagram and Facebook. Um, on Instagram, we're Thrive by Design Coaching. And on Facebook, we're Thrive by Design. And our website and other links all come off of those. So the best place to contact you is through Facebook, Instagram, or your website? Yeah, Facebook, Instagram. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I needed, what time is it? It's 5.15. I needed like three hours with you guys. Um, <laughs> I got to have you guys back. I've never interviewed two people on, I've interviewed two people in person, but never on video. You guys mm -hmm. were so good. This worked out perfect. So oh, good. we kept leaning off. The I know. Side. <laughs> no, no. So I want to thank both of you. I'm going to cut the recording here, but I'm going to have you guys back real soon. Okay. okay. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Thank All right. You. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.